right. Well, welcome again. We hope that you've enjoyed uh, the worship from our fellowship of churches around the United States here. And uh, we're going to jump into our lesson this morning, as you can see on the screen. The title of today's lesson is, We Love It When a Plan Comes Together. And if you're not familiar with that, that is a quote from Hannibal on the A-Team, where often it would be his team would be quite uh, befuddled or confused as to how the plan was going to come together, how they would survive, how they would be victorious, and uh, never a doubt in Hannibal's mind that his plan would come together. And that really is, uh, I believe, fitting as we jump into Acts chapter 2 here, is that the disciples, uh, often confused as to what the big picture was in Jesus' mind, what all would occur after his death and burial, and even after his ascension, which we looked at last Sunday, and the giving of the Holy Spirit, which they waited for, as Jesus told them, hang out in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And again, confusion, some doubts, uh, some clarity that was needed. And what we see here in Acts chapter 2, which we'll read here in a moment, is this beautiful manifestation of God's plan. Uh, and it, it's, it's wonderful. And we see Peter and the disciples after they've received the, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit there, and they're speaking in, uh, in, in languages in which the entire crowd are hearing their own native tongue. And it is just a beautiful uh, clarity given to the disciples about who Jesus is, that he truly is the king of the universe. He is the Messiah. And uh, the Holy Spirit has now been given and is offered to all those who uh, are in Jesus. And what we'll see here today is that um, this plan, this plan that's come together, there'll be uh, three quick points that, that the disciples saw it all, uh, we see it all, and we get to say it all. And it's really just a beautiful, beautiful moment here in the book of Acts that we get to marvel at God's plan. We get to marvel at our brothers and sisters and their courage, and their boldness, and their proclamation, and their affirmation that they received from the Holy Spirit, so that we can go out and have that same confidence, and boldness, and clarity of mind, and purpose, that our lives really do mean something. So again, I believe that's what the world's searching for. I believe uh, we, if you are a disciple of Jesus, we often uh, feel that sense of need to believe that our lives actually matter, that we have great purpose. And I pray that this service and this uh, lesson will help uh, reaffirm that for you. So, amen. That's our, uh, that's our focus today. If, uh, again, uh, just to re, uh, kind of re-clarify the, uh, the context, the backdrop here, we're going to be reading in Acts 2, verse 22 through 41. But uh, again, the, the setting here for us to uh, just have this in our mind's eye is that this is uh, the Feast of Weeks, uh, the, the harvest where they would, the, the Israelites would, gather from all ends of the earth, the faithful, the diaspora, the Jews that have been spread out all over the world, uh, would come back here in Jerusalem with their, their, their first, first fruits. And it would be, you know, bringing the sheaves, bringing the harvest back into Jerusalem and just joy, joy for God's provisions once again, another year of God's provision, provisions. And it was called the Shavuot or the Passover of the, the great harvest. And, uh, we know that uh, Pentecost means 50 it's 50 days after the Passover, God's, uh, God's protection, uh, that Passover moment in Exodus chapter 19 where uh, Mount Sinai uh, is, is, is engulfed by God and Moses receives the Ten, Ten Commandments. Previous to all of that, you know, God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites escape 
uh, escape the, the, the hands of a, the greatest superpower in the world at that point in Egypt. Their enemies are vanquished and they experience liberation. It's there in Exodus 19 where the covenant is presented to them by Moses and they all shout with one voice, we will do it. And it's the ratifying of a nation in Exodus chapter 19. That all happened uh, 50 days after the Passover, after their, uh, their walk through the Red Sea. So this wouldn't be missed on the crowd of pilgrims and sojourners and worships, worshipers that have come to gather at this great feast. They all have this. This is the same day of our, the birth of our nation. This is the same day where God, God came in, in, the, in a great fire billow of smoke and fire on Mount Sinai. All this is in their minds at this point. And we know that uh, these sojourners and worshipers and and those who have uh, these pilgrims, they have messianic fever. They're thinking, could this be the day? And uh, again, we know the disciples had received word from Jesus uh, before he ascended. The stay in Jerusalem, the power on high will come. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't just for those uh, 120. That was for all of all of Israel was longing for Ezekiel 37 to to come to fruition as well, that where God says, you know, these dry bones, uh, they will they they will stir and they will come to life when my spirit comes in you. I think I do uh, have a have a text here. There's Mount Sinai, that uh, famous uh, cloud of fire and smoke, and then here in Ezekiel 37 verse 14, I will put my spirit inside of you and you will come to life. That valley of dry bones, all this is is in their minds hoping that the Messiah truly comes. And what we see here is what the disciples saw. They saw all that with the spirit of fire coming down, descending upon them, the spirit coming to proclaim in all these languages, commending and confirming that this truly is it. And this is the scene in which we we jump into. On the southern steps of the temple, Peter steps up with all that as the backdrop and begins to preach. He starts off here in Joel chapter 2 explaining this phenomenon that they all just saw and heard. But Peter doesn't want it to stop at this phenomenon level. He wants them to appreciate it all the more. So if you haven't made your way over there already, Acts chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 22, and let's, uh, let's read together. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him, just as you yourselves know. This man, who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of Gentiles. But God raised him up, having released him from the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held in its power. For David says about him, I saw the Lord always in front of me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My body also will live in hope, because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor permit your Holy One to experience decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of you will make me full of joy with your presence. And verse 29 says, Brothers, I can speak confidently to you about our forefather David, that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. I'm not sure if you know. I'll stop right there for a moment. But David's tomb really it was actually right there outside of the Temple Mount. So Peter, as he's on the southern steps, 
can actually point to this estuary, can actually point to where David had seen decay. I mean, through and through, his body rotted away, and all they have is the estuary where his bones are. So Peter, Peter, as he's preaching this, can point, look, there's David's tomb, right, right over there, guys. Like, and it's full of his bones. Even the great David had seen decay. And it says there in verse 30, So then, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him on an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, David, by foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his body experience decay. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses of it. So then, exalted to the right hand of God and having received the, the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, for he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, and wait for it, and Messiah. We'll stop there. The response to all this is in verse 37 through 41, which we'll get to. But we love it when a plan comes together. It all came together. Everything they anticipated. They saw the Spirit. They were pondering the Messiah. And now these disciples have the honor to be witnesses, to proclaim and share the wonders and glory of what it is that all is coming together at this time. You know, my first point this morning is we saw it all. This is Peter telling the crowd, we saw it all. We are witnesses. We're not pontificators, philosophers. We haven't contemplated deep truths. I'm not just having considered this psalm in Psalm 16 that he quotes there. It's not like, oh, I've, you know, I've thought about this psalm for a while. I applied all logic to it. And the only logical conclusion after seeing all these events and, and, and reading this psalm more in depth in my coffee shop here in Jerusalem, you know what, we draw the only logical conclusion. No, he's not saying any of that. He's saying we saw it. And we can't help now to just burst forth in joy of how this plan so beautifully connected all these beautiful events all converging together in amazing sweetness. We love it when a plan comes together. I'm sure Peter's thinking, oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait to help them understand the reality of what Joel 2 really means. How Psalm 16 and how Psalm 110, which he quotes a little bit later in verse 34 and 35, how they all just meld together perfectly. It's amazing. And if there wasn't a God... We'd be astounded at all these coincidences just coming together. But there is a God. And not only is that Jesus him, or is it, excuse me, not only that Jesus is him, and on top of that, the Messiah you've been waiting for, he's here. And we're attesting to it. And we saw it all. Peter gives this first sermon in the new covenant, ratified in the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit now is going to use him. For this first powerful sermon. And you would think that this first sermon in the new church and this ratified covenant would be really important stuff, and you wouldn't be wrong. You know, what, what should he grab onto to constitute the establishment of God's new people in this new covenant? What's the essence of this message? And how does this message then also speak 
to the rest of Christianity, to the rest of the way that we understand Christianity? How is it these men, these same trembling, fearful, cowardly, confused, not sure what the plan is, now have so much clarity, be so affirmed, and be so fearless? From cowards to heroes, from timid and holding back to now being bold as lions, why is it? They were witnesses. Peter's saying, we saw him. We saw Jesus' character. We saw Jesus die. We saw the butchering and the torture. We saw the degree to which he was so clearly brought to death and lifelessness. We saw the tomb guarded by the authority of the Roman soldiers to corroborate the clarity of his death. And we saw the empty tomb. And that's not all. We spent 40 days up until this week with this risen Messiah, with Jesus. Christianity, guys, is not just a good philosophical, it's not just a good philosophical construct. It's not. It's historical fact. It is God intervening physically, historically, in time and space to redeem his people and to extend his blessing that he always wanted to pour out on all of us. And finally, he does it. In the greatest act of love, the greatest plan that could ever be devised and executed. And Jesus, as Peter preaches, is at the heart of all of it. What is at the heart of this message? What is at the heart of this great plan that's come together? Truth is, Jesus died in agony. Jesus has been raised to the right hand of the Father. What's at the heart? Jesus is the new king. What's at the heart? Jesus is the one that has come as Messiah, as the deliverance mission that now saves us all. If we would just open our eyes once more and appreciate it fully. Some of the crowd, as we've read, seem to be appreciating this manifestation of the greatest plan. Some, however, are jeering it. There's cynicism. Bunch of drunk guys spouting off some fan fantastical notions because they're filled with the wrong spirits, the spirits of new wine, the last section that we read there in, uh, in, in verse 12. So some are recognizing these, this message in their own language and some are jeering it. But what we see here is the importance of what Peter wants to do is to recognize what this is all about. That the scriptures have already spoken about the resurrection. Couldn't it be about David? Look at his bones. They're right there. He saw decay. He's in an estuary. It's not about him. His tomb is right there. It's not. It's also not just about David, but it's also about flesh not seeing decay. This isn't just spiritual resurrection. This is about the fact that a new body, a new age, and a new earth will be present. We will all have a Garden of Eden reality. We'll all have our, that reality as our new life, new bodies new surroundings, and God will come and be with us. That's the great promise that has been confirmed and realized in the book of Revelation. And this moment here, what Peter's preaching, is just an overflow of what they saw, and they're able to have this beautiful kind of confidence because they saw it with their own eyes. Peter, Andrew, James, Bartholomew, John, Thaddeus, Andrew, Philip, you name it, they saw it with their own eyes, and now you can't hold them back. You can't hold them back. And we don't see them holding back for the rest of early church history. What allows them to do this? They saw it all. It's a fact. It's an undeniable fact. This fact saves them. 
It saves them all, and it saves us as well. They saw it all. You know, the depth of this love is so remarkable and so important. The depth of God's love and how he just makes all of this come together. The importance is to recognize, yes, he, he rose, he ascended, but why? You know, death, as we know it, is the greatest power on earth. You know, 1945, here we have Robert Oppenheimer. He saw the burst of fire from an atom bomb, the first successful test of the atom bomb. And his quote says, I, now I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. But this A-bomb, this, this, this chemical reaction, atoms splitting left and right, has nothing on death. You know, the atom bomb didn't kill everybody. But you know what does? Death. Death has a kill ratio of one to one. Everyone, you and I, are going to die. One way or another, we are going to die. But why did death come into the world? Why did death come into the world? Genesis 3 and 4 says that because of disobedience. We decided to commit collectively cosmic treason against our creator. All that he wanted to bless us with, his presence, life, and we said, you know what, bag that, I'm going to go my own way. And as a result, death came into the world. No one avoids death. No one at all. Except someone has. Someone has. Someone has avoided death. Why? Because while death is predicated on disobedience, death was never, ever in contact or tried to swallow up someone like Jesus. Death attempted to swallow Jesus, who had perfect obedience perfect righteousness and a beautiful love. And when death attempts to swallow that kind of disobedience, righteousness, and love, death exploded. Death bubbled up and exploded. And what rose out of that explosion was our risen Lord Jesus. And we sing a song, ain't nobody, ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Not only does it not be held down, it explodes out of death. And he ascends in honor and glory and is reigning at the right hand of the Father, verse 32 and 33. You know, this is what pa Peter is now expounding about with these scriptures here. He's expounding about this, the agony of Jesus. Why not just death? You know, why, 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 why did Jesus just not have a quick death? Why, why all the agony? Why all the torture? Why all the dismemberment? Why the butchering of our Lord and Savior? Why? We've heard this before. God is showing us how much he hates our sin. The repulsive, filthy, heinous, repugnant, dark nature of every one of our sins against him. It's such an affront for us to be able to make this clear. God makes it clear for us. Let me show you what this does to my son. Why so much agony? In the same way, he hates our sin, he loves us. Hates your sin, but it's also to show how much he loves you and I. They saw all this. They saw this beautiful plan come all together, and they're never going to be the same again. You know, the heart of Christianity, we see here, Peter just jumps right into it. And it shows us the heart and the character of Christianity. You know, when, when death was swallowed up by Jesus and they saw it all, it just develops a character. It develops a conviction, a heart, a mentality, a mindset, a life path that's rationally aggressive. It doesn't try to conform to the, the mentality of the day, the Pax Romana, which is sweeping the world, or, or peace, peace of Rome, to find some type of commonality in their culture. Or let me 
pull these philosophies from the Greek or let me pull these philosophies over here so that we can kind of work, uh, work together so that we can all kind of get along and create this kind of harmonious one culture. No, no, no. Peter goes right at it. And he goes right at the most repugnant idea for, for this first century was resurrection. Was the resurrection of Jesus? Is it just front and center to the Jew and to the Greek? We're going to deal with this right here, right now. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center, the center of what they saw. And it's the center of this first sermon. And he gives us this character that we need to take on as Christians with this inauguration of the first church. So we would do well to understand that as the church is launched, it's launched in this culture of, of rational aggression from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then eventually the ends of all the earth. They weren't the only ones that saw it. And that brings me to my second point, is you see it all too. You know, the Holy Spirit came down. And there's no mistaking the miraculous attesting to all that is going on right now in this chapter. And I think we got to make sense of all this because in seeing all that God has done, he's fulfilled the greatest anticipation of all of Israel. Again, that murmuring, high-pitched messianic fever here at Pentecost is now fulfilled. That, that life that would be ours, that life everlasting, that life confirmed, that life with a hope could not ever be in doubt anymore. And that's what the Spirit does. That's what the Spirit does in our lives. It, it confirms, it gives life. Genesis 1 and 2, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, gave life and an anticipation of God's work. Ezekiel 37 said the same thing. You know what? Dry bones, as I referenced. And now there's life to the full here in Acts chapter 2. And this Spirit gives life to every single one of us as well. Everyone who has been regenerated in the Holy Spirit, we have been in a, self, in a, in a sense guaranteed, sealed, to confirm the work of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus rose on verse three, 33 and ascended, he ascends up there and he, seats, he sits himself at the right hand of the Father. Everyone, everyone has seen that. And what you see in here says there in verse 33, I'll read it again. It says that this Jesus, God raised up and we, verse 32, and we are all witnesses of it. You know, we are all witnesses of it. Ra wrapping our minds around this idea that we've all seen this. What you see and hear, we saw it and now you see it. The evidence of the exaltation of Jesus is there. He who is exalted is now showering us with gifts for you and I to behold. The rebirth that was the promised gift of the Holy Spirit now allows you and me to live in this flesh with hope. With hope. And we see all that. You know, this is the beauty that Peter's expounding on. You know, in Psalm 16, it says there that his heart is glad, his tongue rejoices our bodies rest in hope that's the truth because of the holy spirit now you and i and our bodies we can rest with the radical hope because we know we've been stamped we've been validated with the holy spirit and that's our life now and we get to live it and by the way <clears throat> just as jesus body couldn't be held in the grave you are now regenerated by that same holy spirit not just baptized in general but baptized into Christ, into his obedience, into his righteousness, and into his love. And when you and I head to the grave, 
Just like it couldn't contain, it couldn't swallow up Jesus, that grave couldn't keep him down, it's not going to be able to contain you either. It's not going to be able to keep you there either. Amen? And it won't contain these men. Look at the rest of the book of Acts. Why so fearless? Because the worst fear of death in no way can intimidate them. It's got nothing on them. They have an attitude of, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? Kill me? What? All that will do is glorify me. All that will do is make me imperishable. All that will do will, it will make me beautiful. Will make me like God. And I'll finally get to see Christ. That's in 1 John. We're going to have bodies like his resurrected body. You got to connect this. Uh, we got we to gotta be here in our hearts and minds. That's the worst case scenario for these guys. That's what they're saying. We saw this plan come together. So the worst, worst case scenario is that you're going to kill me and I'm going to be glorified, made imperishable, more like God, and I'm finally going to get to see Jesus. Thank you very much. They're bulletproof. We're bulletproof. Let's go. That's what they're saying. Let's go. You see it all. You know, in 1990, there's a movie called Short Time. And it's a, uh, <clears throat> it's a cop that goes to the doctor and he gets a test result that reveals that he's going to, to die very quickly. Very quickly. So, spoiler, you know, the results are wrong. You know, he's, he, he gets someone else's test results. So, but he thinks he's going to die. And as a police officer, which is his occupation, he goes out and he polices as one with nothing to lose. You know, why is it in his mind, why die from a disease, a wasting disease? Why not die with some glory? So the car chases and the heroism and, and, and the connection that he makes with people and the giving of himself. And there's a time where there's a, a guy that just wants to commit suicide. He's got a bomb with him strapped strapped on him. He just wants to blow it up. And he walks in there with all the type of gusto, sits down and says, hey, yeah, blow it up, man. Watch it. Don't just blow it up. And he calls that guy's bluff. And again and again and again, he's celebrated here, as you see, kind of with his, his police officer hat and cake and, uh, you know, candles. He's celebrated over and over and over again. He's cited for these acts of bravery. And he ends up becoming the most effective cop in the force. You know, at the end of this, he realizes that those weren't his test results. But the truth is, you and I, we don't need that type of trickery. We don't need to think that, ah, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to die. Let me just jump in here. We don't need that kind of tri trickery, and neither did they. We've got something way more solid. I hope you're with me. I know this is online, but I hope you're with me on this. We've got something more solid. We've got the intervention of God in the Holy Spirit. We've got Jesus dying, rising, and resurrecting, and ascending. Why? Why is this plan so beautiful? Because it affirms to us the regeneration that you and I will receive. The confirmation that you and I, in Christ, our life is bulletproof. You are in Him. The fact that we're going to raise again, yeah, that's, that's good to know. But the fact that we're going to raise again and you'll have Jesus' righteousness and death has no hold on you because of His obedience and His righteousness and His love, that's the type of clarity. That's the type of I love it when the plan comes together and we all saw it too. So now what? Thirdly, you say it to all, rousing you to boldness. And that's really just a simple conclusion of this text. You know, what is it that they're doing? What is it that they're doing right here? As soon as they realize this, 
as soon as they all look around and said, oh, the plan just, the plan just came together. I, you know, Hannibal, I love it when a plan comes together. He always had a stogie. They didn't. We don't either. But they realized that. And, and Peter's like, whoo, okay, time to preach. Time to let him know. And he stands up in that temple mount, crowd swelling, and he brings the word of God. And the book of Acts, as we continue to study it as a church, will over and over again confirm this to us, what it is confirmed to them. We, uh, we who are in Jesus, what he did in dying and resurrecting and ascending and giving us the Holy Spirit, what was all that for? We as a church, I know with COVID and now we're back online and we're going to be outdoor services and what's all going to come of this? You know, what's the plan, God? Why? What's happening here? Are we going backwards? What in the world? What's going to go on here? We, we can see, you know what? Yeah, maybe we're a little bit confused. Maybe we don't know how this is going to look as we try to go say it to the world, as we try to move forward as a church to make impact for Jesus. What's it going to look like? Are we going to be in smaller groups and house churches? Are we going to you know, send digital invites, get those signs of we're worshiping online once again or having Zoom Bible studies? I don't know, but what I do know is that God's got a plan and the most important parts of that plan have already happened, have already been confirmed and affirmed and sealed in you and those who are in Christ. And I think for us, you know what, with, with all that's going on, we got to just say something to ourselves. we got to let it count for something. We can't just wait around and wait for it to figure it out. We, it's been figured out. It's been confirmed. Let's get after it. Let's go out, figure it out, love daringly, interject into people's lives to, to let, them, let them have what they really need to have happen. And let's not live another thoughtless moment. Every step we take, it's been a step that's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in what is death and his burial and his ascension. And now the gifting of the Holy Spirit was meant to be in all of them. We'll see and study what it was meant to be in all of us as well. But for those of you who are watching live or maybe watching this a little bit later, who, you know what, this might not be the reality of your life yet. That maybe this uh, whole idea of, you know, this clear plan coming together and you having the Holy Spirit and, 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 and being a witness to all of this and understanding just the, this sense to be able to even to begin to appreciate it. You know, there's a response that, that, that you need to at least ask about. In verse 37, it goes on, this response. Now, when they heard this, they were acutely distressed. This is the NAT. Or they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? Peter said to them, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. You know, that's the response. Peter's response to those who were saying, Whoa, what do we do? He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will get this gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, if you're wondering, that's where you go with this. That's where you take everyone to. That's where you take people to, to this conclusion. You know, we see our brothers and sisters have this boldness to proclaim the plan that came together. To let the world know that there is hope. To know that they have hope in themselves. Not in themselves, but themselves have hope. And now everyone else can too. There is Jesus. There is the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we have the blueprint of His Word. So for those who are watching, 
now and later, let this interrupt you. Let this reaffirm what we have. Let this invigorate us to a boldness that, man, my life is bulletproof because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And there's hope, there's purpose, there's, there's reason for this life. And now I can go say it all to a world that needs to hear it. So let's sit, let's study, let's understand, and let's, let's appear to the world in, in all the COVID responsible ways we can to let people know what we saw. And not that, not just that, but how to live and how we're meant to live. You know, this is all about Jesus. The heart of this sermon is all about Jesus. And now as we take communion, let it be all about Jesus. Let it be not just about his death and his death for our, our sins, but let it be about his death and his resurrection and his ascension and the gift of the Holy Spirit for us to receive that forgiveness of sins, to receive a life that now has not just hope in this world, but bulletproof that death will not hold us down. That that perfect life he lived, that righteousness, that obedience, that love, death tried to swallow and failed. And now he burst out of that tomb to give us that same righteousness, obedience, and love record that he had. So that we can walk around with hope. We can look forward to our regenerated bodies, new bodies, new surroundings, and walking with God. Let our time of communion as we reflect be celebratory of all of that. To reaffirm what they saw, what we saw, and now what we're going to go say to all. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Let's reflect through this time of communion together. Amen.